Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. We are recording for Contrarian's Corner for the fly. Off to the races. The fly races, that is. Fly fishing. The fly politicians. Have you ever heard of a fly politician? Well, or now fl- I have. Fly politics. Yes, tis us, the Contrarians, and welcome back to our fateful podcast where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, and I am joined, as I am on every episode of the Contrarian's by my co-host and friend Julio. I would say the Ronnie to my Seth, but we haven't crossed that bridge yet. No, that's probably like 10 years from now, like <laughs> the 15th anniversary of The Contrarians. What's the movie with Christopher Plummer where he, he's gay like when he's in beginners. his 70s? Yeah, that's the beginner's era of the podcast. Um, yes, welcome. We are here today to tackle the fly, uh, much as Jeff Goldblum tackled this role. Um, How he tackled Gina Davis. No joke. He was a bit aggressive with that. This movie is just Gina Davis getting tackled left and right. <laughs> she just is put through the washer and the dryer over and over again in this film. Um, for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time, just give a quick rigmarole. This is the Contrarians. This first portion here is Contrarians Corner, jestingly referred to as hashtag CC from time to time. This is where we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. So for the fly... I do believe it's at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's a big, shiny red tomato. Um, so we'll rage against that. We can we can make it rotten. Oh, yeah. Much like Goldblum, by the end of this movie, <laughs> we will make this rotten. Uh, with that being in mind, being a 92% on the Rotten Tomatoes, that means a whole hell of a lot of people liked it. Yeah, and it being a movie from the 80s, that means that the percentage of quotes is... I mean, there's only two rotten quotes, and then you know a whole bunch of... of fresh ones mm-hmm. but uh so we'll we'll go with some fresh ones first and then uh we'll get to the couple of rotten's and the second half of the show contrarians not contrarians corner real talk <laughs> where you find out exactly how we feel about the movie correct uh all right so we start with richard corliss richard corliss from time magazine who says a gross your eyes out horror movie that is also the year's most poignant romance all right Joe Baltake from Philadelphia Daily News says it is a fright film, a morality play about being devoured by one's work, and most powerfully, a sad, sad love story of doomed partners. Christopher Smith from Bangor Daily News, Maine, says Kafka would have loved it. Okay. Uh, Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures says few films cost so much buzz in the horror world than The Fly. Boo. Kevin Carr, you should be ashamed of yourself. The previous one, just for whatever reason, made me think of The Office, where Michael tells Helen, his girlfriend at the time, he's like, I don't get your references. I don't know who Kafka-esque is. 
Um, and finally, Gene Siskel from the Chicago Tribune Uh-oh. says, As slimy and as grotesque as some of its special effects become, The Fly is a far superior horror film to the top-grossing film in America of late, Aliens. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just Pump the brakes. <laughs> why, why would you bring Aliens to the conversation? Because it was in the theater at the same time. Yeah, but still, I mean, what is that? that is well, a- especially knowing uh, Gene Siskel in particular's utter disdain and hatred for the friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street franchises <laughs> i'm surprised he didn't take a, sh- uh, a shot pot shot at one of those well it's just like the the that's the armin white way of criticizing a movie or reviewing a movie where he'll just compare it to whatever for no reason right yeah. just let it stand on its own not not on oh well this looks bad or this looks good in comparison to this other movie and also aliens is fucking awesome i mean why would you why would you make me choose between two good things? Come on, Gene. But anyway, two bad things, because this is Contrarian's 32 Corner. 32 years ago. Come on, Gene. Uh, Contrarian's Corner. So, Seth Bumble, our lead, the incomparable, uh, often imitated, never replicated. Seth Bumble? Did he just call him Seth Bumble? <laughs> Jesus. I got fly on the brain. Sorry. Seth Brundle. I mean, he, he bumbles a lot. He he, he, he's a bubbling scientist. We would come to know him as a bumbling scientist and love him as one, and that is uh, Jeff Goldblum. Baby Goldblum. Yeah, with the hair. like He had the like a silken tan. like He was olive almost. I mean, it's hard to imagine Jeff Goldblum as a sexual tyrannosaur, but... <laughs> one more to the list of uh, contrarian discoveries when it comes to sexual magnetism. <laughs> Speaking of which, on the other side of the coin, we had Veronica Ronnie, uh, I don't know how they pronounce her last name, Quaffy, Quaffy, that's I, that's the character name. Regardless, played by the criminally underutilized throughout all of history, Gina Davis. We need more Gina Davis in our lives. Where were we, they, or where were we, where were they when this movie started? Were we at like a museum or like a press event? It was some sort of... Mixer? A speed dating round, yeah. <laughs> they, I don't think that they knew where they were, or at least one of them at least wasn't aware, because Goldblum thinks that he is hooking up with Gina Davis, and Gina Davis is a journalist who thinks that she's just going for an interview. Yeah. How do you get that mixed up? Alcohol. <laughs> also, it's the eighties. So, a woman <laughs> holding a job. He's just. Uh, I've got. I, uh, I've got cocaine at my home. <laughs> Uh, so he takes her back, and he's a known scientist. Uh, they leave, again, whatever event they're at. I, I don't know. The president could have been in town for all we fucking know. Horrible job of setting the scene. We go back to uh, Seth Bumble's uh, Brundle's. Just call him Bumble. It's better. We'll just call him Bumble throughout the movie. We go back to Bumble's apartment that looks like the fucking building that uh, the Joker ties up Rachel Dawes in and the Dark Knight Rises. It's just like this old abandoned warehouse. I, I was thinking Roger and Mark's uh, just warehouse apartment and rent. Yes. It's, it's the same decor. It's yes. just abandoned, no electricity almost, in the worst part of town. And Gina Davis just goes with him. He's like, it's much nicer inside. Oh, okay. I'll bring my beautiful smile upstairs along with you. I mean, I know she's trying to to be taken seriously as a journalist, but does she even have maids? She would have been safer in Afghanistan in 2002 at this point. Uh, they go up there. He right away just wants to show off his teleportation machine. That is Doesn't not... even offer a drink. He's <laughs> no. like, hey, look what I made. He plays the piano for a little bit. Oh, that's right. He just goes up there and starts playing the piano. 
which again it serves no purpose to setting the mood i think it's just fucking um jeff goldblum learned how to play a song on the piano he's like hey, david come here you know what, <laughs> what would be, if... you know would be really good for the bumble character that is <laughs> if i play this piano and cronenberg's yeah whatever i'm gonna pull a worm out of gina davis later in this movie anyway <laughs> this is all <laughs> this is just warm up just it keep it matter. rolling this is never gonna see the light of day um but what does he teleport her stocking or he right. explains that he built a teleportation machine um can only teleport inanimate objects or he hasn't explained it to her yet but he basically just wants to show off yeah but this is this is crazy right because he doesn't he's not aware that she's a journalist so this is really how he gets laid he he picks up a girl at whatever social gathering he's at and then he goes do you want to see my whatever art unveiling that they were at <laughs> yes and then he because this is supposed to be a secret right he when once she once he finds out that she's a journalist he freaks out and he's like you can't tell anybody right mm. but he was picking her up using that so he just he can just grab a random girl and be like, "Do you want to see my teleportation machine mm. and teleport her underwear?" and and that's how he gets laid. That's his go to game where he plays a little bit of piano, and and that's it. That's, and he just looks the way he does. The eighties were a crazy time. They were, you know, it was like um, this whole movie was like, uh, whatever the demon or hell version of Big is. And I feel that Seth Brundle's apartment was much like the Josh Baskin's apartment, but only for a fucking maniac. Yes. Well, he is just a walking red flag. And it's even worse for Gina Davis because on his end. Wears the same outfit every day. Yes. He has a piano. The only nice thing in his apartment is a piano and a teleportation machine. He keeps baboons in one of the rooms, apparently. Uh, But no, he. He's just terrible. I mean, the hair from the beginning, just the hair would be that gives you those American Psycho vibes. Yeah. And then everything from there. I can't believe that Gina Davis does not take off. And she even says a couple of times, maybe I should leave. Mm-hmm. And everybody on the other end of the screen goes, yes, leave. Let's wrap this up. Uh, teleports her stalking. She's been recording the whole conversation. Uh, she, I forget the magazine that she works for, but... Um, a science or like an invention type magazine. It's going to blow the lid off of this whole teleportation gimmick that he's got going. Uh, her editor, Stathis Borens, played by John Getz, doesn't do you, believe her. Why do you need John Getz? <laughs> Have you seen Little Level 3? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's the uh, that's a Joe Pesci character. It's Leo Getz. Oh, okay. And that's his thing. What do you need? Leo Getz. What, Lethal Weapon 3? Yeah, and 4. Joe Pesci's in those? Yeah. I didn't know that. I've Actually, he might show up in the second one. I, I think I've only seen the first one. And then I saw 2012, where Danny Glover <laughs> fired a pistol at the the JFK <laughs> airplane carrier coming in doing rigs. <laughs> yeah, so Stethis, her editor at this magazine, does not believe her, says it's a bunch of malarkey. He's just trying to get in your pants. So this guy's the worst. He oh, is... Yeah. He looks like an '80s bad guy from like a, like a fucking Disney movie that steals the kid's dog or something. Well, it's it's '80s uh, Zach Galifianakis, <laughs> but not playing it for comedy. No, we, if he's just playing it serious, and he is '80s masculinity distilled to its worst, to its most pure, uh, just. 
to its purest form. Yes. Right? He is just sexist and uh, overbearing, completely condescending to Gina Davis. Self-absorbed. Just because she's a woman. He basically sees her as somebody that, because she made the mistake of hooking up with him once, which establishes that she has terrible taste in in men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, he just lets himself into her house whenever he wants and just treats her like, well, it's a favor. He, he did her a favor just by hiring her, I guess. He's the bad guy from Big. Yes. Yeah. He's uh, John Hurt. Yes. Thank you. I was blanking on his name, but there you go. Uh, with that in mind, while he doesn't think it's real, uh, Seth Brundle doesn't want the lid blown off of his secret yet. So he shows up at the uh, magazine, wants to take um, Ronnie out for a cheeseburger. He's uh, one word for you. Cheeseburger. Takes her to McDonald's. <laughs> It's, it's more red flags. Whack Arnold's. It's not even McDonald's proper. Uh, McDowell's. McDowell's. <laughs> Andy McDowell's. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell's. Get your French fries. Um, explains that he cannot teleport living matter. That he hasn't figured out yet how to transport living beings. That he can only transport inanimate objects. Uh, so much so that he takes her back to the his, again, bunker in an apartment. And tries to use a baboon and teleport it, and he fucking turns it inside out. So, do you think that he had only that he stopped trying at inanimate or, uh, objects because that's all he needed to get laid? Really, the trick of teleporting someone's panties was enough. He put, you know, he did like Homer in the Treehouse of Horror. He put the teleport in front of the toilet, and then the other one by his couch. So he tried to, and then he got burned, and uh, you know, just decided, no, this this has got to go. We're only transporting stockings and <laughs> copies of Highlights magazine from now on. My insurance doesn't cover. So he fucks up a baboon. <laughs> Just, <laughs> David Cronenberg, he can't help himself. I've, no. I've seen a handful of Cronenberg movies, mm-hmm. and they're just gross. They're, they, he doesn't skimp on the uh, the viscera. Yeah, and this is just, I mean, Why? It's a good question. You you could you could show some restraint, Cronenberg, and I would still get the idea. You, I I'll need to see it in full gory detail how the baboon was turned inside out by the machine. But you do, and it's still like fucking convulsing and twitching and shit. Right. Uh, so, I hope at this point Ronnie believes him. But it, there's no reason she had to have seen all this. He made his point, but she still wanted to go through with it. So he feels, oh, I need to show her death in order for her to understand this. He then. Has sex with Ronnie, as you do. (laughs) I mean, Gina Davis, what are you doing with your life? She's the beacon of hope in this movie, and she's already just horrible decisions one after the other. Right. It's not even that she was suddenly attracted to him because he was successful. Mm -hmm. He royally fucks up, kills a baboon, and now she's turned on. He's rewarded. Uh, And then when they're having pillow talk or whatever, he rolls over and he gets a computer chip embedded into his back why not (laughs) cuts him open gina davis pulls it out says let me kiss it and then somehow this makes him realize that he never rigged up the machine to cope with living tissue so he's trying to move living things but he never coped it to and so he figures out how to do it by cooking a steak in it he's a terrible scientist (laughs) it's true i mean that baboon that died he's like in baboon heaven he's going well, it would have been nice if you'd thought about this before you Should've sent me this suicide mission. Should have cooked that fucking steak before you put me in there. 
Yeah, why is Gina Davis offering to cook him steak too before they even hook up? No, no, no. He he puts the steak through. No, the no, tub. no. But but remember, she before they have sex, she goes because he's so bummed because the the, the experiment failed, mm-hmm. and she goes, "Do you want me to cook you steak?" Oh wow, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> so she stays the night. They successfully teleport a baboon after rigging up the machine uh, to cope with living tissue. So they're going to celebrate when uh, what happens? Gina Davis finds a letter that was sent by her editor that. Well, the first time she spends it has like the original Star Wars poster for the cover, but it's (laughs) Jeff Goldblum. The Marvel Comics version of of Jeff Goldblum there. (laughs) Where he's Apocalypse looking over the universe. Yeah. her her editor, Evil Galifianakis, he's been waiting outside the building for who knows how long. That's the best part. She goes to leave after she sees this because she's like, fuck, this dude's going to fuck this up. I like Jeff Goldblum. And he's just been like outside for God knows how long. Uh, evil 80s bad guy. You know, it doesn't follow logic. He's just no. he's in the movie just to be a pig and to terrorize gina davis i mean a couple of scenes earlier he throws a fit when he he sees her at the department store she's buying clothes for jeff goldblum apparently no that's where he follows her but he throws a fit a few scenes earlier when she wants her key back to her apartment right right yeah. he's showering in her apartment and never gives her the key back no because she leaves and she's yeah out shopping for him because you know he only has he has five of the same outfit not a red flag at all but yeah he then like publicly shames her in a department store he gets on his knees and right doesn't he gets on his knees and starts just kind of like worshiping her and just telling her something like i don't remember but he he, he throws a fit because she's yeah and he's having sex with he's Bumble. like would this look good on him and he's like putting all these clothes up to his chest it's a, it's embarrassing for all parties involved right but at what point does gina davis call the cops right this guy refuses to give her back her key her apartment mm-hmm. that alone i would think and has already broken into she's it. jennifer lopez and the boy next door she just needs to fucking call the cops and solve all this yeah and much <laughs> like that someone got shot in the end <laughs> while she's out seth brundle drinking on his own late night naked with a baboon it always is going to lead to nothing good it's a hell of a party <laughs> it is he decides he's going to go ahead and test this son of a bitch out with himself so he gets in there and completely nude. It looks like the opening of Terminator. It's actually pretty fucking cool. But why? I mean, why did You're he... You're close. <laughs> Give them to me. Why did he have to be naked? I mean, I understand why Cronenberg wanted him naked because you got to get the... You got to get that R rating. You got to get the most out of it. But he could have teleported with clothes well you saw what happened when he teleported with a fly if he teleported with like a flannel shirt this movie would be the flannel shirt not the fly (laughs) no 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 no. because he can already teleport synthetic stuff uh, inanimate stuff the thing with the fly is because it's two living organisms so he combines them why he's talking about teleporting people all over the place he's gonna solve transportation problems are you telling me that people are gonna be teleporting naked all over the country I mean, I would hope so. I, I don't want a fucking pair of hot pants embedded into my skin. I don't think that this this experiment, I don't think this this technology is up to snuff yet. I was about to say it's like the Terminator, but their technology was far superior to ours. But you can't go back in time with clothes. And they're machines. What am I, no, because Kyle Reese is naked when he comes back. Yeah, why, does, why is Arnold naked? Arnold's naked. Yeah, but why? He's a machine. 
It shouldn't matter. Oh man, we just took a, the <laughs> the just... lid off the jar of pickles right there. <laughs> um, Turns out the Terminator doesn't make as much sense as you thought. <laughs> uh, so Fly gets in the, the teleportation machine, the teleporter, the pod. Fuck, I can't speak. That's why you don't drink and teleport. Yes, and you don't get naked with a baboon. Yeah, from the moment that your night involves having a baboon in the living room, that's just... Again, red flags around this guy. <laughs> just has a couple baboons chilling in his apartment. So he goes through the teleporter with a fly, and during the process of teleportation, the two beings merge. But he doesn't notice. He does not. But his cut is beginning uh, where that computer chip was embedded. It's beginning to sprout um, insect hairs like you would see on fucking spiders. Flies. But he doesn't But he doesn't care. He's just like, oh, well, you know. I'm becoming when hairy. You, when you get old, hair starts growing out of your back. He also has incredibly heightened senses. He's able to catch flies out of the air. And uh, he's turning into a machine, quite frankly, over a very quick period of time. Uh, I read, I think it takes like... It's no, it's less than five weeks that this entire thing takes place over. But they never. I understand at this point, I guess, because Gina Davis, she must be. Uh, what do you call it when you can't see the color red, or you get red on? Are you talking about uh, rose tinted glasses? <laughs> no, I guess she's colorblind. Okay. Right, because she is. Uh, they call it something different in Peru. Well, <laughs> uh, is it daltonic? Daltonism, when okay. you get red and green mixed up. Okay. Um, but anyway, that's she, Dayquil and Nyquil. <laughs> because she, obviously, she just can't see the red flags, mm-hmm. right? Uh, still, you would think that she would be a little worried about the fact that now he has almost superpowers, superhuman stamina. Yeah, she comes out and watches him doing like a fucking Cirque du Soleil routine in the living room <laughs> of his bunker apartment, and just this is normal, right? They they smile at each other when it's done. Yeah, don't you think maybe you should run some tests, especially because he admits that. Well, I, I, I just went through the thing myself without testing the baboon. Yeah. And I was drunk. Don't you think you should look over the files? Because <laughs> literally, the key to what's going on with them, it's not like it's hidden. It's there on the on the, on the the reports. When he finally gets around to running the reports on the computer, it just spells it out for him. Like, it's no wonder this was based on a short story, because this movie is about five minutes of information crammed into 96 minutes. He's becoming a machine. His sexual drive becomes way too much for Ronnie to handle. She doesn't understand how he continues to be able to go. The most awkward sex scene, because she says that they've been going for hours. Yeah. And uh, But when we come into it, she's wearing a robe, and she's on top of him. And it's like, has she been wearing the robe the entire time? <laughs> and or was it that she was she was done, she was putting the robe on, and he was like, nope. He grabbed her for more. and She... Notices something's happened to him, specifically the uh, increased sex drive and ability, and also he's just devouring a startling amount of sugar. Um, also, nobody mentions this until much later in the movie, but his face looks messed up. Yes. And nobody, I mean, she's having sex At with him. At this point already, he's looking, you know, she still, he still looks hard, like, put up wet. Right. Yeah. He looks like Jeff Goldblum, but he, he's got some something going on. Looks like bizarro Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he wants to teleport Ronnie. He feels the way he feels with his heightened senses and animalistic tendencies that she'll have that too if she goes to the teleporter. This is where Gina Davis actually is smart in this movie and pretty much tells him to go fuck himself. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Finally. But then he yells back at her. 
Yeah, and tells her to get the fuck out and um, calls her a coward or chicken shit and says, fine, you don't want to be part of the dynamic duo. And What are you, dude? How old are you? He, he basically, he just wants to have sex more. Correct. And, and she can't handle it. To be it. fair, Gina Davis is a gorgeous woman, but. Right, but come on, at some point. There's only so much gold blooming you can take. <laughs> and then he, right, his theory is that if she goes through through the teleportation, she'll, her sex drive will increase the way that, that his ass. That's all he wants. That's all worst, he cares about. Worst scientist ever. A horrible scientist. And he needs a, a subject, a test subject. So he goes out and looks for a lady of the night. He goes into an Earl's bar or something. It's the bar from Halloween 4 where, come on, it's going down. And he challenges two local yokels that are arm wrestling to a round of arm wrestling. He'll put $100 on the line. And if he wins, he gets to take the woman home for the night. Nobody consults the woman about this. No. I know I had seen parts of this movie before we uh, watched it. I just never seen it sequenced and i did not see this scene because i was eating chipotle when this happened and they're arm wrestling and he fucking compound fractures this dude's arm and in a very oddly cool moment he takes the woman out the door and goldblum leaves kind of like uh it's travolta leaving the club for the last time in saturday night fever yeah the movie wants you to think it's cool it's extremely reprehensible. Yes. that woman was not anyone's property no he could have taken a hundred dollars from the guy yes Nobody said, yes, you can just take this woman, which he does. And then the worst part is then she's cool about it. She's like, can we hit some more bars before we go to your place? <laughs> yeah, they come back at like sunup. The worst part is they don't have like IHOP to go or some shit because they get back to his apartment where the sun's just coming up. And then it's implied that they go on an all-day sex fest and he – Keeps trying to get her to go through the machine, and even she's like, no, no, no. I know I never met you. We just raw-dogged, but I'm not going through that teleportation machine. Um, he does, though. That is one of the the biggest laughs I had in the movie was when he teleports. He gets, like, aroused from it. <laughs> yeah, he, he comes out. She's waiting for him. She's sitting on this couch, and her legs are all spread, mm -hmm. and she has, like, one leg hanging off the the arm uh, of the couch and uh, he comes out of the teleportation and I honestly thought that at least the teleportation was going to clear up whatever was happening with his face Yeah, but no then the mist goes away and he's still fucked up it's like the cover of a romance novel and then you just you get Goldblum ass you do Goldblum ass his cuts worsening more deep nasty animal hairs growing out of it insect hairs excuse me Ronnie shows back up ruins the fun Goldblum kicks her out says, I forgot to tell you I live with my mom. Hey, mom. <laughs> what a dick. And That's our hero. Yeah. That's that's our fly. Ronnie says that she cut off those hairs and ran them to a lab, and she comes back with test results and says they're not human. They're insect. They're consistent with insect hairs. And How do you manage that? I, I guess she's a journalist, so maybe she has contacts, but then... So she just... She has someone in the lab. In the lab, and... Can you run this for me? Just hand him some hairs. I mean, it'd be, I don't, the thickness and consistencies <laughs> of those hairs, I, I don't need a scientist to tell me that they're not human. <laughs> she has to use like that? fucking wire cutters to cut them off. So Seth tells Ronnie off, says she's jealous. He starts punching a hole in a wall like a fucking amped up 15 year old. 
kicks her out, but he is a bit spooked by this, so he looks over the results and finds out that there was a fly in there with him and that they morph together. What a proper scientist would have figured out in the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> would have figured out immediately after going through the teleport. <laughs> well, I guess a proper scientist wouldn't have even gone through the teleport. Yes. A proper scientist would have noticed that there was a fly in there. <laughs> wouldn't have been drunk. No. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, it's flying around. Like, <laughs> he even sees the baboon try to catch it at some point. Oh, this couldn't come back to haunt me in any type of way. Let's go ahead and do this. Four weeks go by. Seth calls Ronnie and says, I've been afraid to see you. Now I'm afraid not to see you. Some, something like that. I fucked up. Yeah. I screwed up. I don't look good. I don't feel good. I need you to come over. So she does come over, and he is in a bad way. We no longer have Baby Goblin here. This is where the movie kind of cheats you out of Jeff Goblin, future movie star. He looks like a cast member from the show Dinosaurs halfway in costume. Yeah, you're you're getting him. He's still in the makeup trailer. Yes. But then they pull him out to shoot. Or like a slee stack that they didn't get made up all the way. A yeah. great value slee stack. It's, it's like when uh, uh, you're watching Vanilla Sky and Tom Cruise gets this figure and now he has to wear a mask for the rest of the movie. <laughs> this is not what I paid for. I paid for Tom Cruise. I didn't pay for Goldblum and dinosaur makeup. I paid for Goldblum. Uh, Ryan Gosling and Drive when he wears that horrifying bald mask. <laughs> uh, yes. Suffice to say, this is not the Goldblum, the the sex icon that we spent the first half of the movie with. But again, this is well-deserved for being such a goddamn terrible scientist. Uh, he sits down. He's Again, It's he's just eating like Twinkies and donuts and all types of sugar. He begins regurgitating. He explains it later on. Bit, like a real fly, he can't digest a solid, so he has to like dissolve them in order Melt to... Melt the... Yeah. yeah. Um, How is it that he doesn't have just a pile of shit, like literal shit, on his table? He's still managing to use the restroom. He's a self-respecting man fly. <laughs> and... I mean, if you really wanted to sell the idea that he's turning into a fly. Because later he kind of becomes more like a Spider-Man. Is he crawling? He was already crawling on the walls, or has he started crawling? No, no, no. Okay. Dude, when she first comes in, he's just... In bad shape. Yeah, in bad shape. Because he's still scared of what's happening. His and ear it, falls off, that's it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and she hugs him. She still loves him, in a way, in this at this point, portion. Women. <laughs> Jesus. She doesn't know how to handle this. So she goes to, apparently, the only other person in the city that she knows. <laughs> uh, Sta Stalis? Right. Why would you go to the biggest asshole Stethis. you know? Leo Getz. John Getz. Leo Getz. John Getz. Uh, Borens. Stathis. Galifianakis. Evil <laughs> Galifianakis. Why would you go to him? He He's proven to be a terrible person, and yet... She goes. She doesn't go to the. I mean, she knew a lab person that could run tests on those hairs. So we don't mm -hmm. go to that guy. I don't even know him. He never shows up in the movie. But I'm pretty sure that he's a nicer person than than this guy, than Galifianakis. He would have been played by the guy who played Casey Jones. What's his name? Ilias Cotius. Yes, there we go. But it, it was a deleted scene. Wait, no. Turtles wouldn't have been out yet. It could happen. <laughs> a young Ilias Cotius. It's possible. So she goes to, to Galifianakis, and it's just a smash cut to Galifianakis going, you should never go back. Yes. And then 
She goes back. <laughs> <laughs> Through all this. Why would you even ask me for my advice if you're not going to follow it? <laughs> Through all this, though, we discover she's pregnant with his baby. Well, that happens after the second visit. Okay. So she, she goes to visit him again, and now he's kind of happy that he's a fly, and he's crawling, and he's saying, maybe this is not so bad. Now let me let me show you how I eat. And then they do the video. Okay, that's where I lost track there. Uh, he theorizes he's the Brundlefly. Film me. I'm going to show you know the world uh, how to, what's going on with me, my experiment, all this. Which, again completely jumping ahead we don't see if anyone learns anything from this in the end right there's all this technology that flawed as it was and dangerous as it was it was still world changing (laughs) the real movie i want to see is after the fly Uh what happens when (laughs) when proper scientists get a hold of this technology (laughs) and the world changes this is maybe a prequel to star trek it's possible. He does theorize he's becoming a brundlefly, though, a hybrid human and insect, uh, as we talked about the way he's eating his food, but she has him film. Uh, this is when we cut to um, Stathis watching the video of this, just doing the, oh, my God. We just see, like, his reaction. Just, just being all of us in the audience. Exactly. And then she comes back in, and she's upset. She's found out that she's pregnant with Seth's baby. And Not good. The movie just goes there right away. Abortion. And it's great because this, I imagine this was used in the trailer uh, while Like a Virgin played in the background where Stathis finds out that she's pregnant with Seth's baby and he has the um, Harvey Firestein reaction from the Independence Day trailer. Oh my God. He has two oh my gods, which made me think that the first oh my God was thinking that it was his baby. And then the second oh my God is when he realizes, no, it's been too long. The only moment of true acting in this where he freaks out thinking it's his baby, is happy that it's not, and then realizes that she has an alien baby in her. Yep. Um, John gets the fly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fly. Um, and then it's just a smash cut to quite possibly the cheapest storytelling device. I hate it when filmmakers use it. Because nine percent of the time they don't use it well, and this is one of those times. The dream sequence, yes, padding doesn't change anything. It's just an excuse so that Cronenberg can get even grosser on screen. Uh, because suddenly, and grosser he does get. Yeah, she's in the hospital, and they're they're not. It's not them delivering the baby, right? It's them performing an abortion. Yeah, truth be told, I've never seen what an actual abortion looks like, and it looks. Pretty intense. Well, the the language they were using did not sound like the language I've heard in other Nine birth months. scenes. <laughs> yes. There was no wacky Robin Williams <laughs> running around. Uh, well, they're talking about I like, just can't let Julianne Moore go. And... Yeah. 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 They say there's a little bit more you got to push. And she starts like freaking the fuck out. And the guy uh, at the helm of all this, the captain, is the cr- cameo appearance by David Cronenberg. And, and then you get the money shot. Do you think that that oh. was in the. In the trailer? I, I hope not. It's like the chest burster in Alien. It's like, well, I don't need to go see it now. Uh, pulls out this giant larva that was growing inside of her. And it, it's it's really dumb because, in a way, that's the movie peaking. Once you establish that that's a dream sequence, then what else are you going to do to the freak me out? That's I just saw a giant larva come out of Gina Davis's vagina. That's, that's it. We're done. Roll <laughs> we, credits. We peaked. Yeah. So then it just cuts, and she's, like, cuddling in bed, freaking out. Yes. Eh. <laughs> well, that was a scary dream. <laughs> yeah. See, it would have been great, though, if that was the whole movie was a dream up until that point. 
<laughs> she wakes up and then she says she has a text. Well, no, and she the has 80s. the magazine with the Marvel cover of <laughs> yeah. Jeff Goldblum on it. Um, Jeff Goldblum back at his apartment. Uh, Seth Brundle is becoming the Brundle fly. He's literally falling apart. His teeth are falling out. His fingernails are long gone. He's turned into like this fucking gelatinous mess of a human. He's squirting jizz out of his fingers. Oh, dude, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Uh, he's doing his studies. He realizes he needs a human. Uh, what does it say? One or more human subjects to return him to normal, to get all the Seth Brundle goodness out of the fly. I mean, you're not going to return to normal ever. Of course, We've established he's a terrible scientist, so he, I guess he doesn't see mm-hmm. the problem with this theory. He's never going to go back unless he found another Jeff Goldblum to merge with. But he's not. He's just going to merge with another human. He's going to become more if human. If he was maybe. smart, he would have lured those two rednecks from the bar. Or just going back out to the bar and find... you know, Just grab some random guy. Yeah, exactly. This is where Ronnie, though, makes her last effort to see if there's anything salvageable of Seth. Well, it's it's weird because it's that, but it's also because Galafanakis drives her there. I mean, we don't find out until the end of the scene, but he's waiting outside in the car, and he's it's a almost, getaway driver. Yeah, but it's almost like he took her there so she would so she could tell him that that she is pregnant with his baby, and she wanted to try to do gonna, the right thing, right? Which is, I mean, at this point, things have gotten so complicated, and you're he's not become even a so mound of taffy. I think we're beyond the, <laughs> right. The, the, yeah, right, wrong. It's just let's just. Let's just snip this. Just cut to the chase. Don't don't worry about the morality of it anymore. And then he does the fucking uh, monologue from the Elephant Man. It's <laughs> it's Goldblum's Oscar in. clip. Do I amuse you? It is his Oscar clip because he starts just fucking rambling about insect politics. Yeah. And no, I never heard of him. It's and- uh, it's a shame that he's just covered in cakes of makeup. Yes. Like a- you could, if you look deep enough, you'll see the single tear coming through, <laughs> melting all the latex off. And he says, "If you don't leave, I'm gonna hurt you." At least he gives her fair warning. And then finally, she leaves. She does. <laughs> and then she goes back down, and uh, she tells, she tells John, "We gotta get an abortion." And then he goes, "This is what felt weird. This guy is being an unrepentant asshole the entire movie." And suddenly, at this moment, he has qualms with, well, maybe he should know. Maybe I he thought it was weird it. he had a Bible with him waiting for her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now it doesn't seem so weird. <laughs> he said, I know it's been a tumultuous time, but you ever read this book before? It's good like, stuff. Listen, you should have known better. <laughs> and my taxes are not going to pay for the fixing of your mistakes. So it's fucking the middle of the night, and she wants this abobo done quick. So they go and find, um, I guess, some doctor that John Getz knows. Yeah, not not covered by Edna or, or Blue Shield. I, the best part is it's not one of those things where they're waiting for him at his office, and he comes in like with his lab coat on. He's like, it's better be good. It's the middle of the night. He was just already there like doing already, paperwork or some shit. He and, was open 24-7. And he's still annoyed that they came in. He's like, you realize it's the middle of the night. Yes, you're open. <laughs> and then they say, you know, the father's deformed and we don't want. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> the doctor also being the voice of reason, speaking up that it is the 20th century. He's like, you know, we can do tests on this stuff. You don't just have to make a rash judgment call right now. Galifianakis is, is such a bad liar, too, because they they ask him, are you the father? And he said, no. 
but God, his father no. his father is a man who may be deformed but it's not a fly <laughs> it, it's, he's got like the magazine that he's getting ready to print and it's definitely not this guy <laughs> his father did not used to look like jeff goldblum <laughs> So they go in. She has to get ready for the procedure when the fucking door flies off Kool-Aid Man style, and there stands the Brundle fly. Um, I don't know how... At no point up until this did they explain that he had, like, superhuman strength. Uh, well, I mean, you saw him snap that guy's arm when you were eating your Chipotle. That's true, but snapping a guy's arm, that that happens in real arm wrestling. Not from Jeff Goldblum, though. No, but my point being... We haven't established that he can break through a brick wall or anything yet. Right, but but he... Nor does it explain how he did. The wall breaks and then the camera pans and he just... Nyeh! No, was it a wall or was it just uh, glass? I thought it was a window. Yeah, you might be right. Because I think Galifianakis goes after to see what happened. And then he cuts his his hand. Doesn't he lean against the broken glass because he's an idiot like everybody else in this movie? Yeah. And then he looks at his hand like he cut himself. <laughs> Fuck. It was not a wall. Hey, what the fuck? What'd you do to my office? <laughs> it's uh, the middle of the night, goddammit. Now I gotta call a construction crew. Yeah, that that abortion doctor is having the worst night ever. <laughs> that should have been played by, like, fucking Ted Knight or something. Just to have him, or like Rodney Dangerfield, just heightened anger. Uh, Mel Brooks. <laughs> it's very funny you mentioned that name. That'll come up in the second portion. So Seth kidnaps Ronnie, and his plan now is he's going to combine with her and their unborn child. He needs that, and then it's going to turn them all into one full person. So it'll be like a family in one body. Correct. Uh, John Getz appears on the scene. Solid thinking. I mean, his brain is... It's a wonder he can still talk. It tracks with the way that... Goldblum has been performing science through the entire movie. I was about to say, his track record of science up until this point, you would watch this and go, yeah. I believe that he did that. So John gets Stathis comes back to the apartment, and this is where shit gets gross, because the Brundlefly tackles him and starts spitting up his uh, dissolving vomit on his hand, which deteriorates, and then also on his shin, so his foot and legs separate. And he does the, the... Amazing Spider-Man hand orgasm and then a foot orgasm because he's not screaming like somebody. At first, he screams a little bit, but then he's just having this facial expression of ecstasy. I don't know. To be fair, if I was in that situation, I'd probably go into shock as well. Fucking bones are dissolving and shit, man. He's got a shotgun. He's trying to shoot him is the whole point of it. Right. And Cronenberg is just close up, extreme close up of the dissolving limbs. He's just got the ketchup squirt bottles offset. Just going ham with them. Uh, Brundlefly locks Gina Davis. Ronnie, I just want to continuously call her Gina Davis. Well, uh, she is Gina Davis. She is. I just I don't care about the character name. Locks her in the pod. He's started the process of the final transformation. She's so somehow, in, even though he's falling apart, his hands are so fucked up that he has to wear gloves. He's managed to create a third pod, right? Because most of the movie, he had just the two pods. Correct. So and now he added a third one. So he, Gina Davis so is going to be combine. one. Right. Yeah. He is in one, Davis is in the other one, and then the third one would be Super Brendel. <laughs> Brendel Davis. The the Rendel. The Rendel. There you go. And so he goes to his pod, but here we have uh, armless, legless 
John Getz crawling into frame, and he is able to prop himself up and shoot the gun at the hose attaching Ronnie's pod, so it separates her from the pack. This asshole gets the big hero moment mm-hmm. of the climax. Gina Davis doesn't. No. She, she's just helpless. She is She's the damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah, she just gets thrown in. The most she does is she, she kind of like slaps Goblin, and his jaw comes off. And then he just—he's reached his final form at this right, point. Right, the makeup starts a, just falling off. He is a six-foot fly at this point. Yeah, um, but still enough to overpower Gina Davis and throw her into the pod. I thought it was really off tone though. Uh, before we like when he did become the fly, and then John gets Gina Davis and the fly all look in a mirror together, and then Jeff Goldblum says, "Well, it looks like I do have some more healing to do." <laughs> it was a bit tonally off, but. They pull it back around here. Um, so he frees her, or at least her pod is no longer connected. And then <laughs> fucking the, the, all that was missing was cutting to Jeff Goldblum as the full fly just shaking his antenna. <laughs> like, hey! Uh, but he breaks out of his pod and he's trying to get at him when he gets teleported. So I, I guess what happened was the door to the pod and him morphed into one. Yeah, according to the computer, which this movie, every time that you need an explanation of what happened, cut to the computer screen that will tell you <laughs> it's what. It's the computer from Doogie Hauser. Yes. <laughs> computer, what happened? There's a point where Goldblum actually goes, what happened? And the computer tells him, oh, there was a fly. You fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the computer says... Fusion of Brundlefly and, and pod. pod successful. So he comes out, he's half machine, half bug. Right. Going back to the Terminator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and naked, I guess. <laughs> and he comes out and he looks he's he's in rough shape. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> and he crawls over and Gina Davis has the shotgun and she can't bring herself to do it. She uh she just can't. Even even at that moment, yeah, with like ten seconds of movie left, where he just Cronenberg refuses to give Gina Davis any sort of agency. She's just a mess. She's just crying. It's, it's so the monster has to basically force her to kill him. The he takes his little claw and puts the shotgun to his head, and she backs away first to kind of size him up, and then she shoots him, and kills the fly. Roll the credits. Literally. What happened to the abortion? I want to know. <laughs> Even more so for Cronenberg to be so, uh, I guess, such a maverick, right? He's pushing boundaries with just how gross shit can get here. What really, I think that he dropped the ball because what I really wanted to see is what does that look like? The, the fusion of Gina Davis, Brandon Fly, and, and the baby. What was going to come out of that? Of that pod, of the third pod. Now that would have been amazing, right? Some sort of the fusion of Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. That alone, been a good-looking person. Yeah, and then it kills Galifianakis. <laughs> Just comes on. out like nine feet tall. <laughs> Gorgeous. Do you notice something different about me? Look closer, John Getz. <laughs> you want to fuck me now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Cronenberg has no time to tie loose ends. It literally, she blows. Twentieth Century off. Fox saw the runtime like a hundred, or was it an hour and thirty six minutes? Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know that you've lost half your audience the moment that Goldblum doesn't look like Goldblum anymore. Yes. I mean, especially at that point, 86 Goldblum, that was... The, the rose had not fallen off the petal yet. <laughs> the gold had not fallen off the bloom. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. It's over. It is. It, it, it ends. A, a story of a woman that made terrible decisions and a scientist that was the worstest profession ever. It, we... It ends as quickly as it began, and we learn nothing in the process. Really? I mean, we were dropped right into that mixer at the beginning, right? No backstory or mm -hmm. anything. And then we end with no epilogue, no nine months later. <laughs> <laughs> She's cradling, cradling a larva <laughs> or anything. That would have been great. Just a little adorable little, like, centipede or some shit. With Goblin's face. Like, they, oh. That would be that should have been the closing shot. Like she's cuddling the little centipede or whatever, and John Getz is helping her raise it. And then we get the framed cover of the magazine by the windowsill <laughs> as the sun's setting, and then we fade to black. And then <laughs> that explains everything. A David Cronenberg joint. <laughs> uh, well, that was. Let's put this into the teleportation pod and move on over to real talk. <laughs> Does that mean that we have to take our clothes off? Because I'm not ready for that. I'm not either. I don't drink on the weekdays anymore. And <laughs> yeah, I, I would need a few beers before we did something like that. All right. Well, let's let's not teleport to real talk. I came to tell you. Um, <laughs> I I just I wanted to see you before. You have to leave now. And never come back here. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd like to, uh, but oh, I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. I'm saying. I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you if you stay. Okay, we are recording for real talk for the fly. Picking up on me, fucking with my mic. Um, yes, real talk for the fly. That was a difficult first portion because I really enjoyed this movie, but there's a lot you can pick at about it. So it's an '80s movie, so it benefits for us how it treats women. It, it's I, just it's a nice bonus. Yeah, listening to this, that first portion 
uh, Contrarian's Corner had some heavy editing because I did lose track of my notes for two reasons. Um, I mean, lose track taking them. One, I was really enjoying the movie. Uh, two, I was eating Chipotle. And th- <laughs> three of the two reasons that I said it. Just absolutely lost in Gina Davis's gorgeousness. Uh, the Fly is based off a short story that was written by George uh, Langlin in... Uh, it was published in June of 1957. It was published in Little Ditty called Playboy Magazine. It was then turned into a film in 1959 that starred uh, Vincent Price, King as, of Original as Horror. Yeah. Original Bumble? As Original Bumble. Uh, did he play the... the or did he play the asshole boyfriend, asshole ex-boyfriend? Oh, it looks like the plot was real different for this one. Really? I mean, I'm assuming someone became a fly in the end. But. Vincent Price was just playing the fly. <laughs> hey, it's me, the fly. Uh, Maybe he was just a baboon. Jesus. That'd be good, too, if he was just like in a monkey costume. <laughs> hey, it's me, the baboon. <laughs> Terrible Vincent Price. Terrible baboon. <laughs> it's Vincent Price. I mean, he, he played all these different characters, but he had the same voice for everything. It's like Robert De Niro. How dare you? Robert De Niro is a chameleon when he wants to be. Okay. I was about to say, <laughs> in your duration of doing this podcast, do you really want to make that argument? But it's not like De Niro's ever like changed his voice or anything. Has he ever had a movie where he was like British or anything like that? I mean, he played Frankenstein. <laughs> he did. He said, don't bring that fire near me. You talking to me? <laughs> Look at my neck bolts. I'm scary. <laughs> uh, okay. Back to the lecture at hand. Released August 15th, 1986. A definitive Jeff Goldblum vehicle. Uh, starring, obviously, his counterpart was Gina Davis, who was his girlfriend at the time. So, well so done, they, Jeff Goldblum. They hooked up during shooting, or did they know each other? Or they were dating She before? was brought into the foray. He suggested she play the role. Good. Good cast. I mean, you know, it, it's obviously... Sucks for everybody else that had to audition, but but she's great. Oh, how I, I dare say she's better than he is in yes. the movie. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Howard Shore did the the music. That's cool. I didn't know that. Uh, David Cronenberg, obviously the director. Twentieth uh, Century Fox released it. Budget of an estimated between ten and fifteen million. I couldn't find an actual number. Box office return of around sixty million. So definitely held its keep. Uh, interesting trivia aside from the ninety two percent that we had mentioned. Let's see here. Mel Brooks did not want people to know he was a producer on the film because he thought people wouldn't take it seriously if they knew he was involved. Mel Brooks presents The Fly. <laughs> when people did find out, he decided to make the most of it by handing out dealy boppers at the premiere. What the hell? Dealy boppers are the little like antennas that like wiggle around and shit. That's amazing. Several sequences were filmed but cut from the final release, including a sequence where Brundle sends a cat and a surviving baboon through the telepods, resulting in a mutated creature he beats to death with a pipe. Jesus. Glad that was cut out. A scene where Brundle climbs the outside of his building as an insect, uh, and an insect limb emerges from his side, and an alternate ending in which Veronica has another dream of her unborn child, this time as a baby with beautiful butterfly wings, which would have been fucking dumb. It should have been a baby with uh, Eric Stoltz's face. Because, you know, Eric Stoltz is in the fly, too. That'd be good. Uh, originally, Tim Burton was supposed to direct it, which I'm so happy he didn't. That would have been a different movie. Yeah. Less gross. Uh, 
sadder maybe oh this is pretty sad as it is oh but. very uh michael keaton john lithgow mel gibson richard dreyfus willem dafoe and james woods all either auditioned for or were considered to play it at one point in time could you imagine james richard dreyfus oh. <laughs> <laughs> i sir am the fly the fly <laughs> <laughs> james woods just a complete asshole before he even becomes a fly no shit He's already spitting on people before he's mutated. Uh, In the bathroom scene, as Seth's gradual transformation into Brundlefly begins, Seth has lesions on his face. Lesions is a skin condition that is related to HIV and AIDS. The film was released during the dawn of the AIDS epidemic, and the film has been uh, seen by many as a metaphor for the disease, and the film deals with even more basic issues that everybody can identify with. David Cronenberg was surprised when the film was seen by some critics as a cultural metaphor for AIDS, since he originally intended the film to be more of a general analogy for disease itself, uh, with terminal conditions like cancer and more specifically the aging process. I I did wonder, while we were watching it, I I was almost going to ask you, when is it that AIDS became a thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it seemed like a little too early. What is this, 86? Yeah. Yeah, but, but it I mean, was right around that point in time. And truth be told, I watch this now. I'm like, why? How could you get that read from it? But at that point in time, I, I mean, obviously, I wasn't even born yet, so I can't put myself in that mindset. Well, but it is. As I was watching it, and honestly, I I hadn't like thought about this that read. I hadn't read about it, and it, it did come to mind because of the lesions mainly. Because I was thinking of Tom Hanks in Philadelphia mm-hmm. in similar makeup. Obviously, Hanks doesn't you know lose an ear or anything but yeah. it's uh you know so you have the look like the lesions and then when she becomes pregnant i felt like wow that's if you're looking at it as a metaphor for aids that's really fucked up because yeah. she would be afraid of the kid being sick certainly an interesting read uh five hours for makeup five pounds of makeup Gina Davis claims that the only time she felt grossed out by the amount of gore was during the sex scenes. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> was in the scene where Seth's ear falls off and she holds him. She states that her reaction was genuine because I had read that elsewhere before that uh, that was basically just something that Cronenberg put in there and didn't tell her was going to happen. So her all rea- day ear falling yeah, off. So that that was her genuine reaction. And then <laughs> save this for last. I nearly doubled over when i read this the character mr bean played by rowan adkinson makes at least two references to this film mr bean's wardrobe is the same as brundle's and the sentence be afraid be very afraid was used to promote the character's first movie because <laughs> god knows i love me some rowan adkinson and when i i was looking through all the shit that i was finding i was like wait why is his name in here and i read it and i was not disappointed <laughs> um before we get to talking about the movie i have two negative quotes you did mention the two so we're using both the we're using the whole green splotch <laughs> gambit yes uh i'm sure there's some more hot takes if you scour the, the internet but they're not run tomatoes certified mm-hmm. so they didn't make it here um ralph novak from people magazine says any adult could fill a movie with sickening stuff and there's nothing scary funny or interesting about what Cronenberg has done it's just tedious and insulting what get, an asshole. Get the sweater. <laughs> okay. He saved it. Uh, and then Pat Graham from the Chicago Reader says, Image so much subverts intention that Jeff Goldblum's tragic fly person finally seems more ludicrous than affecting. Voyeuristically bizarre. Fly person. Fly person. 
So fly man. <laughs> Come on, human fly here. Yes, this is real talk. This is where we talk about how we really feel. This is the second sad? portion of the podcast. Yeah, this, it was like the ending's really. It's, it's a bummer of an ending. It is. It's well done, but yeah, um, yeah. I had seen parts of this movie, and I pretty much had seen it all, just never in sequence. I'd caught a lot of it on TV over the years and whatnot. So I was kind of surprised when you said when you brought it up for us to do that. I realized I hadn't seen it all the way through. But thanks to Hulu for having it available for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I unlike you, I've seen it. A, number of times but it's been a while and i told you <laughs> when i got here and you told me that you'd never seen it i i actually i grew up with it and the first time i didn't even watch the movie it was just my uncle telling me the story um i mean i wouldn't say in graphic detail but <laughs> he he told me basically the entire thing that happened and i remember mm-hmm. thinking at the time just wow that's a bummer of a story yeah and then when I finally got to watch it, when I was old enough to watch it, it was just as much of a bummer as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, the description, because he had told me that that final scene where the fly grabs the gun and puts it to its head. And he said, the eyes of the fly are like the eyes of the actor that was playing the fly. And yeah, he's not. he wasn't wrong. I mean, when you look at the, the creature work that they did... I mean, I'm not saying that he looks just like Jeff Goldblum, that you can see Jeff Goldblum in it. No. But I think that it looks like a living More thing. More of a Louis Anderson face. <laughs> uh, but it looks like a, like a... It doesn't look like a, like a fake special mm-hmm. effect. It looks like an actual creature. And because you've gone through the whole journey of the movie, it's very easy to just see Jeff Goldblum in there. Yeah. So it's... That's old, it's old brutal. yeller. It's the ending of old yeller, man. That's what it is. The dog like puts a spaw on the rifle. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus, can handle it. Uh, yeah, the ending is very memorable, very emotional, especially for such a silly. At times, um, I mentioned Dead Alive on our last uh, episode, also, but there's some sequences of gore and violence and you know decay that are very reminiscent of Dead Alive. Uh, but it pulls off an emotional ending really well. I mean, he has he has his Oscar clip, which we alluded to in Contrarian's Corner, mm-hmm. which I think is really good. Um, even though he's buried under all that makeup. Yeah. It's still really good and really sad. Probably, again, because we've been on the journey, so he was so dorky and likable at the beginning that it's just sad to see him turn into that monster and then him acknowledging that he's going to hurt her if she doesn't leave. Yeah. Uh, but probably even sadder, I think it's earlier, when he loses the ear and he just admits that he's scared and he asks, does he ask? No, she just hugs him, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. ask for a hug. But anyway, it's uh, it's good. So, I mean, when I say Gina Davis is the MVP, that doesn't mean that Goldblum doesn't do a lot of heavy lifting here. He's, he's really good. Yeah, he's great, especially growing up in the 90s and now uh, – wasn't used to Goldblum like this, and so <laughs> playing a, a character. Yeah, not just playing Jeff Goldblum, and <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, and he's really good. And I, it, the, you know, I always use the phrase "some of its parts," and this movie is certainly that. I mean, John gets honestly, he's not bad, but he could, and anyone could have played that role. Right, he's just playing typical ladies asshole. This movie has three stars. It's David Cronenberg. 
uh, Gina Davis and the baboon. The bab- <laughs> God, those things are adorable. I was talking to Julio when we were watching that. Like baboons are fucking cute, but God, they could fuck your shit up if they wanted to. <laughs> that was something, especially after you kill one of their own. Yeah, for in real. That, in that reckless experiment, See, that was not realistic at all. Out of all the things that were realistic in this movie, it, that that baboon would have been like, motherfucker, <laughs> it was my cousin Joe. <laughs> But Jeff Goldblum, you know, we talk, we use the phrase "go for it" also, and man, he was all in on this movie. Early, early contender for the Embry, <laughs> I think. Uh, that's a that's a fair point, especially like I said, the point being, there's been a lot of things since that you could argue Jeff Goldblum wasn't all in or had gotten into a certain zone of comfort. Which, I think he coasts on his Goldblum charisma, mm-hmm. which I was going to say, there's nothing really wrong with that. You know, we brought up Robert De Niro earlier. And De Niro's made more things coasting that are better than most people's 100%. (laughs) So, you know, pick your spots. Gina Davis. We don't deserve her. We don't. Why was she not a bigger thing? Well, I mean, I think she she was at some point. And then, uh, I mean, it's not like... You still I mean see that her, in the you point that she, enough movies. Yeah, that's my point. She should still be like headlining things, right? Uh, should, is it just Cutthroat Island? Was that really should a we huge part it? of it? That's that sucks because that's I, don't, I mean I haven't seen the movie, but I don't think it's her fault. I'll blame Rennie Harlan. That's Rennie Harlan, right? Yeah, she was married to him at the time. Oh man. Yeah, I believe. Don't I think I read that somewhere? So don't quote me, but. Man, that movie ruined a lot of people. <laughs> I, I don't know if it still is. I remember for a while it was still like the biggest bomb. Like it, when you factor in inflation and shit like that, considering all the stuff that they put into it. I have it pulled up in front of me right now. I forgot it was a Christmas release also. <laughs> Dear God. Yeah, it was $100 million, made $10 million back. But that was just the budget for the movie. We're talking like uh, it was fucking... Um, Travolta shit movie Battlefield Earth it was that they had fucking action figures and video games and all this shit put into it and it just but you know the high concept is really good female pirate Mm alright that's all you need played by Gina Davis I'm in (laughs) directed by Rennie Harling Uh... (laughs) Matthew Modine's there (laughs) but this is bring it back (laughs) just do a remake Cutthroat Island starring Gina Davis still Get a good director. Mm, yeah, and then after directed that, by David Fincher. My God. Actually, no. Uh, who directed Wonder Woman? Directed by. I don't know. You know, I don't know these things about modern movies. Zero Dark Thirty. Who directed Zero Dark Thirty? Let, let's do that. Um, Catherine Bigelow. Yes. Directed by Catherine Bigelow. Why not? Well, I mean, I saw Gina Davis is on uh, Grey's Anatomy right now. Oh, okay. She can take a break in between seasons. She did make The Long Kiss Goodnight after Cutthroat Island. That movie fucks hard, like I was telling you about during the recording. That movie is fucking awesome. That's Shane Black, right? Yes. And, uh, yeah, she's a fucking badass in that. Let me guess. There's an annoying, precautious kid in the movie? No, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Shane Black wrote and produced it, and Rennie Harlan directed that also. (laughs) She was all in on the Harlan train. (laughs) But uh, on the uh, opposite side of the coin, that movie had a budget of $65 million and made $90 million. Oh. So that's that Samuel L. charisma. That's what that'll get you. <laughs> uh, and then after that, she made she spent the remainder of the 90s into the mid-2000s doing Stuart Little movies. Man. Point being, Gina Davis is fucking awesome. She's great in this movie. She is tremendous in this movie. And this set into play 
Uh, Beetlejuice, Earth Girls Are Easy, Accidental Tourist, Thelma and Louise, League of Their Own. My God. She was just poised to take over the world. She was also in Fletch. I didn't know that. She's tremendous in this, though. You could make the argument as good as the other parts of this are, the special effects, the story, uh, Goldblum, the direction. This whole movie would not work without a performance like Gina Davis's. Yes, and I would argue it's even more impressive because I think she's handicapped by the 80s. <laughs> by the fact that this movie is made at a time where even if her protagonist was a woman, it was very limited what she could do. A yeah. lot of it is just her reacting to shit. And Goldblum is the star, even though he ends up being the villain. Mm-hmm. All Gina Davis does is be there so he can explain stuff to her and then so she can be put in danger and then that's it i mean even at the very end yes she shoot him but she shoots him but it's still her participation in the climax is kind of she's a damsel in distress in the climax yeah but still you're you're feeling for her the person i care for the most through the entire movie is gina davis Mm -hmm. i feel bad for goblin definitely don't feel bad for the other dude but she is the heart of the movie, and I think that that takes it's a lot more work. It takes a lot more talent to really get somebody to invest on you so much when you're really not doing that much in the movie. Mm-hmm. She's just there, you know, she cuts the back hair and she hooks up with him, <laughs>, laughs at his jokes, sticks around. It's, it's crazy. As I was watching the movie, it felt so 80s to me in the way that it handled right now. You wouldn't expect to have a female protagonist that would be so handicapped by the script and by the social surroundings. And God help you if you do. Right. You would you would have critics decrying, like, well, why is she, isn't she doing more? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is she just such a victim through most of the movie and certainly in the third act? Yeah. But, uh, but still, the fact that I think that one of the reasons why maybe there's not so much criticism i didn't go deep on the quotes and like i said there's only two negatives but uh i think that she makes it work in spite of all that stuff because she's just so good she's you buy every single moment she shouldn't be attracted to this idiot but she is and i buy it yeah it's um especially with all these movies we've done and when you watch something like this it really makes you realize how borderline revolutionary terminator was in having sarah connor as like a badass (laughs) in it uh but then he made Avatar, so yeah. Hey, <laughs> I'm just blue kidding. people. Uh, well, did you read about the four sequels that have officially been announced? Yeah, which I mean, you know, we might use this for like after the episode, but I have no problem with that. No, he can do whatever he wants. I just understand the the outrage online. What do you care? How does it? Why does it hurt you if Cameron decides to make ten Avatar movies? I don't know. I just don't want to pretend that it's something it's not. It it did. It's a movie that came, made a shit ton of money, was like flash in the pan, but left no cultural footprint. That's not accurate. You know, we're talking about it. That alone means that it it made a a, a cultural. How many kids impact. do you see at Halloween dressed up as avatars? Oh well, it's been a while, but let it <laughs> let it. I mean, when it come out, when it comes out again, everybody's gonna go watch I it. I know. I'll. And when it, it came out, everybody was talking about it. It, it was like it pushed 3D. And remember, did you see it in 3D? Yeah, yeah, it was dope. It was it was really good. It was it the was, best 3D, and I generally don't like 3D in movies. Same. But it was Juno in the sense of it was fine, and then everyone started like talking about it being best picture of the right. year. Right, best picture of the year. 
no, come on, calm down. Yeah. But but for what I, it is, it was good, and it's especially when you think about it as in okay, part one of whatever else he has planned. Uh, sure, I'll watch it. Yeah, Cameron usually hasn't let me down. Uh, even if I don't love, I mean, I don't love Titanic. You love Titanic. I do love this. Titanic. Right. But how many people were just skeptical of Titanic and thinking, oh, well, this guy is just going over budget and he, <laughs> and then. This will be a flop. <laughs> right. I, I think that he can do it and maybe I won't like the four sequels. Maybe I'll like one of them. How many will star Sam Worthington? All of them, I if hope. If we're lucky. <laughs> um,. David Cronenberg, what's your? I was gonna say, what's your relationship with him? But uh, we haven't talked in a while. But we back were, in the eighties, we were, were going over his filmography, and he he definitely has been around the block. Obviously, Scanners, uh, Videodrome, Naked Lunch, Crash, not the Academy Award winner, but the James Spader, the polarizing senior citizens will walk out halfway through, uh, yes. a quarter of the way through, really, as soon as Ilias Cotias makes out with James Spader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, History of Violence and Eastern Promises. He did a Dangerous Method too. Ooh, Cosmopolis. I've never seen that. Uh, yeah, I I watched half of Cosmopolis. It's good. I just fell asleep before I could finish it. Uh, that's wow. That's crazy. I've seen more more of his movies than I thought, but not a fan of uh, Videodrome. What? I know. I. It's weird. I just. I I'm not a big fan. When it's just visuals for the sake of visuals, it uh, it doesn't captivate me as much. And I think that Videodrome is a lot of just cool ideas and concepts and visuals. And the story is really not that strong. I I prefer to know what's going on so I can just enjoy the movie. Um, Since for that Homer's watching Twin Peaks on this one episode and he just is looking at the TV, I have no idea what's going on. But, you on. know, yeah, I mean, also... To be fair, I watched it a long time ago, mm-hmm. not knowing that it was that kind of movie. Maybe yeah. if I watched it now, knowing that I don't need to worry so much about the plot and just kind of let it take me. Like, I watched Eraserhead a couple months ago for the first time. It's still really weird. Really weird, but I knew that I was in for that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, I see so, what you mean. I see what you mean. Right. So, I just kind of, I just went with it. Like, if you thought you were watching this and it was like, you thought you were watching a romantic comedy, you might be right. like, like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why? Why? Um he did Existence, which I do not care for. And I remember at the time that people were comparing Existence to The Matrix and saying that Existence was the the smart version of The Matrix. Fuck you. It's, it's again, weak plot. And in, in this case, it's not that it's just supposed to be weird. I just think that sometimes he might care more about the visual style and maybe the themes that he's exploring and doesn't care so much about the actual plot mechanics. I think Existence has really weak a really weak plot um kind of took the words out of my mouth i was gonna i was gonna word it a bit more positively than you uh <laughs> now it sounds like i hate chronomer yeah. actually i like history of violence uh i like eastern promises i like crash uh crash again i knew exactly what i was what i was getting into because the hype machine had really informed me before it arrived uh in Peruvian theaters, so it was also. I remember it uh, as a kid because I was nine or ten at the time. Um, it was one of the first. <laughs> that is crazy. You were a kid. I was in film school. 
Hey, man, they, they send you to film school when you're 12 in Peru, right? <laughs> That's true. Uh, what I was going to say was I remember that being, as a kid, it was the first ever movie that was getting big publicity that was NC-17, so that was how I learned what NC-17 was. I've never seen Crash, but it was the first movie that I saw. I was like, what does that mean? Um, oh, it means sex. And I've only seen one NC-17 movie in the theater, that is. We saw it together. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big group adventure. That was. Uh, what I was going to say about David Cronenberg is he is a director that uh, is not much of a chameleon. He has a clear vision for what he wants to do with his movies and usually figures out a way to do it. I haven't heard too many stories about David Cronenberg like being mad about a movie of his that came out and the studio held something back. And I think that's because of the 70s and 80s he established his reputation. Uh, I'm pretty sure studios that finance his films know exactly what they're getting into. Uh, in terms of visionary, I mean, Eastern Promises and History of Violence. I wouldn't call those, you know, things that rely on visual effects. But they're kind of like the fly. I mean, yes, the fly. I guess for the eighties, it was just very like it grossed a lot of people out. But now, when you watch it, it's still even now reading through some of the quotes. There are people calling it its mo- his most accessible movie, and that makes sense because it's a very accessible story yeah and then he just puts all his weird shit on top of it mm-hmm. someone like my dad would be very quick just to like blow it off because of like the gore and visual effects but how oh, that would be a shame it is a shame that's why i argue with him about movies like that because if you can look to what the actual message and story is it's actually very like i said the ending's fucking an emotional ending <laughs> poor little fly poor, poor gina uh, davis uh, poor gina davis yeah poor poor little gold bloom <laughs> get that stupid john gets out of here and uh, i actually like now that we're in real talk i like that the movie subverts our expectations or 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 kind of messes with your head because the john gets character is such an asshole Mm -hmm. and yet you get to see a different shade of him once the fly once goblin goes full fly because it's not like he's showing up there with a shotgun because he's an asshole. He's actually trying to save the day. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, that he... I, I, don't, I think that he's actually trying to save Gina Davis because, well, she's a human being, not because he needs to win this dick measuring contest with Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Uh, the post credit scene, if you had stuck around, it would have been that doctor in the abortion office with all the caution tape up around the hole in the wall, just telling the, the clientele, don't mind the draft. Uh, yeah, the, he, he, That guy is the fourth most important character in the movie. He is. And when I was looking over the, when I was doing my research and I saw on Wikipedia, they only have like five characters listed. Who's the fifth? Oh, the, the hooker, probably. Not the yeah. hooker, but the uh, the woman that has absolutely no problem having sex with him. Lady of the Night. Tawny is her name. It, it's a perfect 90-minute movie. It's a perfect sci-fi movie, it, but it also has a good message rooted in it. Or not, I guess not a good message, but an Be a good scientist. Yeah. Don't be like... Jeff that Goldblum. is a good message. <laughs> Fucking do some tests before you hop into this. Don't drink. Don't drink and run experiments. <laughs> yes. But uh, a relatable story and an interesting one. But again, all I could fucking focus on was how good Gina Davis was and just being upset that, I, I don't know, you know, we see things, uh, she could have her wrestler somewhere down the road, like Mickey Rourke had with the wrestler. I, I, yeah. Of course, is, to be fair, is, she hasn't become like a punchline like Mickey Rourke was. Right, you know, you know, it's just that you don't see her as often as you did once upon a time. I guess if you're a uh, Grey's Anatomy fan, then yeah, you see her every week or something, but it, it, 
if you just go by movies, there was a time when Gina Davis was in movies a lot, and now she isn't. And in big movies that when you watch them and realize they came out in the order they came in, looking like she was, you know, being groomed. Obviously, it's not Game of Thrones, but you know what I mean? Like being groomed to be like this top dog uh, in the yard. Uh, and also, maybe she just fucking got tired of it. It could be the Rick Moranis thing where they didn't leave me. I left them. Yeah. I mean, after Cutthroat Island, you probably get tired of hearing really bad things about you, especially like in a big situation like that. So, Or you could be just, you know, sometimes actors and actresses, they just decide to cut back and just focus on their family or whatever. I, I guess if you take something away from this podcast, know that me and Julio really wish Gina Davis was in more things. <laughs> Goldblum is doing fine. Goldblum, yeah, he's he's good. Cronenberg is doing fine. Mm-hmm. And Gina Davis, I mean, I'm sure she's doing fine, but we would like to see more of her. Please, Gina, if you're listening, <laughs> just just do something. I mean, you don't have to do anything. Just find something you like. Just call Terrence Malick and see what he's doing. <laughs> you know, I don't know that Malick. I haven't seen his last few movies, but... Uh, I mean, the last one I watched of his was uh, Tree of Life, which I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And then he's done three, I want to say, since then. I did enjoy Tree of Life in, for what it was, but I had to keep up a, a facade that I really didn't because, like, Reed and Eddie and there was people that like loved it so much oh. that I just had to... Did you see it in theaters? No. I... It, it makes a difference. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like fucking Dunkirk. Well, it's like just... Tying it in with what we're talking about. There you go. Christopher Nolan getting Gina Davis in a movie. Oh, there you go. Um, in the next Batman movie that he's going to do. <laughs> she can play Batwoman. She can play Andrea Beaumont. from. Oh. Man. Tree of Life. Cronenberg. I mean, Malik is, goes very hard on the visual aspect of it. And maybe the story doesn't quite hold your hand <laughs> the way you shoot sometimes oh. uh so but that is that was one where having seen a couple of malik movies when i went into tree of life i knew what i was in for yeah so i just sat back just let it wash let over it happen. me yeah uh jumping kind of all over the place more so than we usually do in real talk here uh that's a cronenberg effect it definitely is because this movie's all over the place but there's really you know i think a big part of it is we usually don't do movies like this that do have such a almost overstated uh history and record and uh so it seems cliche for us to be like goldblum's good visuals are good You know, it's pretty scary. Uh, you you haven't seen the original. I haven't. The no. Vincent Price one. But I am curious to watch it, especially now that you've said that it's very different. Um, and I'm curious to read the... Let's go to Paris and see the opera version of it. <laughs> the Contrarian's on location. <laughs> um, well, I just want to know what the original is about in the sense of what is it... I'm sure you can find the short story online. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's like, what does it say? Is it is it from his point of view, her point of view? I'm assuming it just sounds like Cronenberg went and did his own thing. So, uh, or is it more like Kafka's Metamorphosis, and it's just this mind fuck where a dude wakes up being a fly one day? <laughs> uh, the fly to John Getz was the only one to reprise his role. Really, yeah. I haven't seen it. I just know that. Uh, and Eric, Eric Stoltz, Stoltz was the son of Seth the, and Veronica. Right. Yeah. 
Um, Fascinating. Man, they couldn't get Gina Davis. No, 89, that would have been... She was too big for that shit. Oh, was that Thelma and Louise yet? Who directed yet. The Fly 2? Rennie Harling? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Wallace? Uh, not not the notorious B.I.G., Christopher Wallace. Uh, let's see what else he directed. The Vagrant, an episode of Tales from the Crypt, and The Fly 2. That is just... Whoa! Prime Hollywood milking a concept for all it's worth. You don't need a sequel to The Fly. That is the perfect ending. And I love, now that we're in real talk, I love that it ends the way it ends. She shoots him. She cries. Go to credits. Yeah. That is like, I don't want to sound too douchey by saying Pete Cronenberg, but that's just like, (laughs) there it is. You're done. Get the fuck out of my movie theater. (laughs) Next show's in 30 minutes. (laughs) Ushers need to clean up. <laughs> Chris Wallace, Wallace, whatever the case. The other movie, The Vagrant, was uh, a horror movie starring Bill Paxton, Graham Kurkowski, a financial clerk who is being driven insane by a homeless man after moving into a new home across the street from where the homeless man has been squatting. Is it a comedy? It was produced by uh, Mel Brooks, so <laughs> we'll just we'll assume so. Good stuff. 92%. Fine with that. If I had to give it a rating for what it is, it's an A. Uh, yeah. 4.5 stars. Maybe even 5. I don't know. I mean, it has that, that 80s twinge that I've been alluding to uh, through the entire episode. That It does. And if you want to dissect <clears throat> its points of inconsistencies and stupidity, you can pretty easily. I mean, I'm okay with Goblin being... An idiot? A, a, yeah, a terrible scientist. Because the movie... Well, they do have that line where... Uh, John Getz mentions that he was eligible for the Nobel Prize, maybe, or for some sort of prize mm-hmm. when he was really young. But that doesn't mean that he's not a doofus, right? So yeah. he could still be incredibly talented and yet be socially awkward and insecure. And really, I don't think that he drinks very often, but he drinks because in that scene, because Gina Davis just accidentally fucked with his head. He's figured out that she used to have a relationship with her editor. So I can understand, and maybe he has some a little bit of guilt over the dead baboon. I can justify every bad decision he makes. It still doesn't make him a good scientist, but I, I, I buy it. Well, there you go. It, you can point out plot holes, but then you have reasons to explain it. Yeah, now gender politics, that's more <laughs> fucked up, right? The fact that he just grabs that woman at the bar, <laughs> drags her out, and she's kind of cool with it. Yeah... That's just watching it now, though. Right, right, yeah. but that's what I mean. Like, when I rate it, do I rate it as a movie that I watch now? Similar or do I rate to what I was saying. A... Like, yeah, I can't put myself in. Uh, like, I can't put myself under the guise of you know the AIDS epidemic too. So I have a hard time reading the movie, something like that. So it's all about proper expectations and putting yourself in proper context. Well, you kind of deflated the AIDS thing when you said that Cronenberg was not intending mm-hmm. to do that. You can still read it as that, and I think it's kind of a powerful, interesting read. Uh, but, but yeah, if he said that he he was surprised, yeah, <laughs> he said old age. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, getting old sucks, but not to that extent. It's like Halloween and uh, people reading it of like male domination or like sexual repression and the phallic symbol that the knife represents. And James uh, Carpenter was like, no. No, <laughs> it was in a documentary. So he's like, people have too much time on their hands sometimes. 
Uh, okay, so that was The Fly. We're moving on to another film in our next episode that will be within the same realm of science fiction. That is Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, after it was egregiously left off both the tables of ourselves and uh, the IMDb Journey podcast. Doing our Keanu Reeves draft. Yeah, we're still paying for for our sins. We got our ass kicked. Yeah, and and now somehow we are doing Johnny Mnemonic, and they're not. How is that fair? <laughs> but yeah, I've never it, seen Johnny Mnemonic. I saw it a long time ago. I'll I'll save my Johnny Mnemonic stories for when we do the episode. Sounds good. Um, so moving along to our usual closing segment plugs. First and foremost, our opening and closing tracks provided by the Festive Years. Opening is Last Stand. Closing is Summer of '99. Their album Don't Let Me Use You. Google them. Uh, Julio, I believe you said they had some new music drop recently. Yes, so. I need to listen to it uh, and then text Chris and be like, hey, that was awesome. Can we use maybe update our music? Yeah, also? or just like play it just for fun in yeah. between episodes. That works for me. In between segments. Um, also, Hans Rodgeser, he did our logo. Uh, you can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can email him at Mildemonios at hotmail.com. He has a podcast called Nacion Combi. It's in Spanish. It's about Peruvian stuff mostly. Um, if you're interested in Peruvian stuff and you know Spanish, listen to it. Uh, myself, uh, first plug goes to Hulu for uploading the entire series of King of the Hill. God bless. <laughs> there goes the next two months of your life. That's right. Well, and I got the uh, PWG Battle of Los Angeles set in the mail today. So that's my, that's my weekend right there. And... Um, Got it mailed to me just a shade under a decade, too. So, <laughs> uh, Secondly, uh, shout out to Julio. He edited our fourth anniversary episode, and I was a huge fan of that, including all the uh, audio drops from uh, movies and things of that nature. We kind of split up the editing responsibilities, so sometimes if you can notice slight differences here and there, I think we strive to keep up the same level of I quality. I think that's yeah. mostly the same. But that being said, there's some things here and there, and... Uh, thought that was really well done and i really enjoyed listening to it not to toot our own horn but toot toot that was a good episode and then lastly watched gentlemen prefer blondes on monday um and that inspired me for us to do a potential Marilyn monroe arc in the future um really good and like i was telling you earlier i think her legacy and just being overshadowed in many ways how actually talented she was so watching movies like that, it's like, oh, yeah, she was really – it's like um, – I don't know who's a good example of that. Frank Sinatra or something like that. When you see like Prime Sinatra, you're like, fuck me. This dude had the pipes. Same with Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> difference was she was a good comedic actress as well. So <laughs> I never saw I, Sinatra. I, I, on I was going to say, are you ragging on Sinatra? Is he in Ocean's Eleven, the original? Maybe? I don't know. I, it's not good. I, mean, I know some people like it, but I, I wasn't a big fan. But yeah, uh, not too much else going on here. I'll update y'all on the next episode with <laughs> Battle of Los Angeles. Uh, yes, he was. The whole Rat Pack was in it. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what he did. He probably sang, <laughs> maybe danced a little bit, and seduced women, <laughs> drank a lot. Yeah. Check, check, check. <laughs> Just described every Rat Pack movie. Um all right, so my plugs, I just watched two movies I really liked. I watched a bunch of movies, but the two I liked. Um, Alex, are you a Queen fan? Because I watched Bohemian Rhapsody, and I don't know much about Queen. Mm -hmm. So I think that that affected my enjoyment in the sense that it 
helped me really enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard from a lot of hardcore Queen fans that were like, well, why don't you just listen to Queen's greatest hits and skip watching the movie? <laughs> because they just basically criticize the movie for being kind of a by the numbers uh, biopic, which it is. Yeah. Of course, what makes it special is a lot of it is the music, which is awesome. Because if you like Queen, obviously you like the music. And uh, uh, Rami Malek's performance as Freddie Mercury, he's amazing. And and then I guess there is some fudging of the chronology and some of the stuff that happens, which not being a Queen expert, I had no idea. So I watched it and I just took the story as they were telling me the story. And I didn't have anything distracting me saying, oh, well, that's not how this happened. Or this didn't happen until much later or whatever right so i think that maybe in this case the less you know about queen the more likely you're to enjoy the movie that's fair they talk about how he died no it ends i mean he he gets diagnosed with aids during the movie but the movie ends at do you know about their live aid concert Mm -hmm. okay so that's the the end of the movie okay so they they end on a high note basically um which is great I mean, the last is not a spoiler because I think it's on every bit of marketing now, but it's they recreate the Live Aid performance. The last 20 minutes or so of the movie is just the oh, entire wow. set list. And Rami Malek is amazing. Uh, I haven't looked at the actual performance on YouTube. They said that you can just watch it there. Mm-hmm. That was another point. I was like, just watch the Live Aid performance on YouTube. <laughs> I think that it's... Obviously, if you didn't enjoy the movie, this doesn't apply. But to me, because I enjoyed the movie, the Live Aid performance, it's such a strong payoff to the, I don't know, two hours that preceded. Because you get to really invest in the characters. And then when you see them performing, you're not just seeing a performance. You're seeing the culmination of two hours of buildup. So I had a blast. I was... I enjoyed it so much more than I thought I was going to. Because I went in after raving out for a few weeks and reviews had been mixed. And... It kind of influenced my expectations. I was going to say, I, I don't recall a movie in recent history that's had as, when you say mixed reviews, as uh, solidly mixed as this was. Because <laughs> I've heard things like you're telling me, and then I've heard people like stay away from it. it. To the point of like it almost seems like tribal. Like there's two sides to the argument of well, it. But see, I've seen very, very strong reactions against it. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of understand because if Queen is your favorite band, if you idolize Queen, if you really feel protective of their history, then this can come across as a watered-down version because it's PG-13. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing a quote from Frey Mercury in an interview where he was saying, yeah, someday somebody will make – a movie about my life and it's going to have to be triple X because I've done some <laughs> really crazy shit. And of course this movie is not it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shy away from his sexuality, but it's not the point of the movie. Yeah. It's just something else that happens. I mean, that's not true. I, I think that really, once you think about it, it is the point of the movie because they, I think that they make it clear that being gay in the eighties or being bisexual in the eighties Clearly, as difficult as it is now, it was more difficult in the 80s. And that led to a lot of his inner struggles. Uh, in the movie, can be read as him kind of accepting his sexuality. Interesting. So, Oscar buzz? Uh, Malik's definitely getting nominated. If he, if he might win, I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah, he's great. The rest of the movie, no. <laughs> I mean, 
they don't have the, it's not like they can nail original song mm-hmm. so um It'd Best be great. adapted song. <laughs> It'd be great if they got him to perform just for the hell of it, but that's not going to happen. I don't know. They're doing Bradley Cooper and uh, right, but that's Lady best, Gaga. But that's his original song. They're actually oh, nominated. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Cool. But, oh, man. It was just... I came out of it pumped. Uh, just wanted to listen to Queen. Just fist pumping on the whole way home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then... And that's another one we're watching in movie theaters. If it sounds like something you would like, you would be cheating yourself out of... A great experience uh, if you don't watch it on the big screen with the loud sound and everything. Uh, and then IMAX, yes. Um, and then I don't know if you've heard of Overlord, the World War II zombie movie. Yes, I really want to see that. That's what it is. I want to see. Yes, watch it. I don't know how much longer it's gonna be in theater, so you need to hurry. Okay, it's worth it. Um, slow cooker. It takes a while to get going, mm-hmm. but then once it gets going, it's just it's so good. Nice. Yeah, so I was I was very happy with it. That's it. I'm okay. not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna spoil it for you. You're gonna watch it, and really, it, that's a movie where I can't. Why would I give you more details? I just said World War Two and zombies. That's all you need, really. It's like Wolfenstein. Yeah, it has a. Well, you haven't seen. There's a couple of actors that I know, like the two main actors. There's it's got the blonde guy from Twenty Two Jump Street. Okay, I haven't seen Twenty Two Jump Street, and that guy kind of sucks in the movie. And he's the second lead, but that, that's that's fine. He doesn't need to be great, okay. right? Uh, the other lead is uh, the kid from Fences, the Denzel Washington movie. Do you watch it now? Um, he was also in The Leftovers, which, you know, I love The Leftovers. Has it come out since 2014? <laughs> Unless it's like Good Time, Dunkirk, or Star Wars. I haven't seen it. Uh, and then the third lead is the sniper from Jack Ryan, the Amazon series, which you haven't seen. And someday you'll get to it because it's Jim Harper. Okay. Halpert. Yeah. Uh, he's got a beard in it. No, he doesn't. Right? What am no. I thinking of? The quiet pl- a Quiet Place? No, I saw that. What's the other thing he did where he has a beard? It's like an action thing. Oh, uh, 13... 13 Ghosts? 13 Minutes? No. Whatever. 13 Floors? The Michael Bay movie. Oh, Michael Bay did it? Yeah. Jesus. All right. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's the Benghazi thing. That's right. It's just Jim with a beard. That's all I know. And that is it for my plugs. All watch right. Overlord. Watch Bohemian Rhapsody. If if you can separate yourself, your expectations from Queen reality, I guess. it's. I compared it to reading a book and then watching the movie based on the book. Mm-hmm. If you're... Like Watchmen? Yes, although no, because Watchmen is a very faithful adaptation, except for like the key moments where it deviates. But a lot of it is just basically, literally, what they... I see what you mean. Yeah, no, this is more like you read a book, and then you watch the two-and-a-half-hour adaptation, and you're like, well, they left this out, they left this out, they left this out. They This was supposed to be more graphic. But this was yeah. good, and this was good, and this was good. Yes, but but if you're very attached to the original material... Oh, I see what you mean. You can't really... The, the stuff that annoys you annoys you a lot more than than the stuff that you like. You know, I see. It, Yeah. I, I, I would say away if you're like a hardcore Queen fan that can't look past the movie not being a documentary. And that might be, you know, easier said than done. I don't know. I'm not a Queen fan, so I really can't tell you. <laughs> I mean, I am, but I'm not somebody that knows their life story. Gotcha. We'll take that to the bank. All right. Well, that was The Fly. Johnny Mnemonic is in the pipeline. Uh, so that'll be when we come at you next. 
As always, though, we do appreciate you guys listening to us here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. The summer of 